quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, you're listening to the podcast, So There I Was. This is episode number 47 with chaos. More chaos. How about that, repeat? Oh, chaos. That awesome. Awesome. As we said in the last show, he came, he came out like a shot, and he didn't pull it to idle. Till he was safe on deck at the end. <laughs> yeah, he came out there like a freaking shot. I mean, it was like a coming out of a cannon. Boom. This is no warning. Boom. Yeah. So this show picks up exactly where we left off with last week's show uh, and a nice segue into it. So you'll hear some of the same things as we lead into it. Uh, his story from, say, along a Poe, that's there. <laughs> but uh, he quickly cuts that off. I want to hear the rest of that one. <laughs> I do want to hear that. I don't think he wants that recorded. No, I don't think that's safe for, uh, safe for public consumption. Yeah. I could yeah, be wrong. So, And then, uh, folks, I hope you'll bear with us on this one. The Internet was really chewing us up near the end of this show, and so the, the sound is a little bit rough, but I think we managed to salvage a bunch of the good stuff and uh, hope you'll enjoy it as well. But he talks about his decision to get into the air show circuit, why why the Yak 3 was, wasn't the best choice to do that. For some reason, it wasn't a big crowd pleaser. <clears throat> now, he said he'd get 50 hours before he had another major mechanical and he said the engineering was such that every part had three bolts and you could get the two of them. <laughs> That's right. Only the two. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Couldn't get that part off no matter what. So, and then talked about owning the Harrier. The only person to own a Harrier. I think we could call this one, dude, I've got your Harrier. Dude, I have your Harrier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's I, good. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. I think uh, that was what we should call this one. Oh, let's do it. I dare you. We, yeah, I, dare I was you. leaning towards, I, I'm going to do that. I was leaning towards uh, same effect as if you took a chainsaw and threw it up in the air. <laughs> oh, okay. And that's good, too. Because when he told that story, I couldn't, I mean, that's spot on. <laughs> it is. It is. Especially no, no dis- if you've flown air, you know, no disrespect to all the people who perform air shows. But if, if you've done it in the cockpit of a, of a tactical jet, it, it's just not as impressive anymore but it is yeah. impressive i'll give him that it is that, impressive you know, it is, is impressive yeah you don't want to do that so he talked about owning the harrier the l39 all the different things they're trying then he talked about his whiskey they raised some money for charity oh uh, 700 it, it, mile it an hour bourbon yeah 700 yes. mile an hour bourbon yeah 638 in this case but they're they're thinking they're going to do it again ah who's counting just didn't want to trash the engine so and he wasn't allowed to uh, cross state lines with it yeah. Is that something? <laughs> I know. It's a crazy, crazy rules. Yeah. And then uh, the BD jet. The BD jets. Yeah. His BD jet operation. He's going out there working on a twin engine version of it, but he bought it, traded his motorcycle for it, bought it, and <laughs> the guy, uh, Jim Bead, said, uh, yeah, I wouldn't fly that. <laughs> and just going to quit. So he pulled the engine, made it a static display, and redesigned how they do that. And then they went out and flew a bunch of aggressor profiles for the government. Yeah. It is kind of cool, all except for I, I put myself in that. I think in being out over the water at uh, 100 feet, 25 miles out, in a little single engine jet that nobody can see anyway. Hmm. Yeah, but at least you've got an ejection. Oh, wait a minute. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, he's got, he's got a lot of energy and he never slows down, and there's never a dull point. No, not at all. So this was a fun one. Before we get into it, if you'll indulge me, folks, we got a letter from listener Earl a few weeks back, and I made a posting on it, and that is 
linked on our website. It's actually between episodes 44 and 43 on our website. So if you go to sitthereiwas.us, Earl's email will be up there. Also with the article from Hawaii and from the Memphis paper. Uh, So some interesting stuff there. So if you'll indulge me, I'll, I'll read that now. Earl writes and tells us why he listens and honors his father, Marine pilot Ken McCoy. I want to say that you guys have a great podcast going. We love hearing that. Yours is by far my favorite podcast. I listen to many military aviation related podcasts and yours is the most fun. My father was a Marine aviator. He was a NAVCAD in 1954. And once he got his wings as an ensign in the Navy, they offered him a transfer to the Marine Reserves as a second lieutenant. He went to the basic school at some point after. He did primary in the SNJ at Whiting Field, formation at Softly Field, FCLPs at Barron Field, and carrier qualled on the USS Saipan in the SNJ. Wow, that was cool. He was in the first group that got to fly the new, at the time, T-28B Trojan during instrument training at Corey Field, and he went on to fly T-33 jets in primary jet training in the F-9F Panther in advanced jet training at Sherman Field. He flew everything from SNBs, which was the old twin-tailed Beechcraft, C-47, C-54. He also trained for helicopters and flew the H-19 and H-34 helicopters. In the 60s, he got requalified in jets in the TF-9F Cougar and transferred from MCAS El Toro to MCAS Kaneohe Bay, joining the VMA-212 Devilcats flying the A-4B Skyhawk. You probably know them now. 212, that is, as the Lancers. When they transitioned to the F-8 Crusader, they became VMFA-212 Lancers as the Lancer went better with the medieval theme of the Crusader. My dad ejected from an A-4 in 1963, and due to a couple of other A-4 mishaps, all related to maintenance, dad requested to go back to helicopters and join HMM-161 Greyhawks. He went to Vietnam in 1965, flying the H-34 with HMM-161, and at the time, they were known as the Pineapple Squadron due to their Hawaiian home. Dad always regretted not flying an afterburning jet, but said he was never more proud of serving the grunts on the ground than with the helicopters. This is one of the reasons I love your podcast, because the stories and hijinks of the Marines remind me of the stories he used to tell me. I love the podcast because you're getting these stories and history told. Dad passed away back in 2012, and I regret that I didn't record some of his stories. And I wish he could have done a podcast like yours. He retired in Pensacola in 1968 due to back issues from the ejection, and from late 1966 to 1968, he was land survival instructor at NAS Pensacola. You may remember the old PBY Catalina that they have in the land survival building, where half of the fuselage was outside the building, and the other half was inside the building with cutaways. It is now in the Naval Aviation Museum. He used to talk about taking students out to Eglin Air Force Base to stay in the woods for days eating grub worms for survival. Growing up in Pensacola, Dad always took me to the Blue Angel air shows back when they were flying Skyhawks and tell me as a little boy that there was always a Marine pilot representing on the team. I'm a huge fan of the Blue Angels, and I love the Lawman episodes and cracked up at the walk-down hijinks. I also love the trivia like Hammond and Beer Can With. Keep up the good work. I look forward to every Thursday. Semper Fi, Earl. So that's the kind of feedback that we just love. If you have something similar or you have any feedback you want to give us you'd like us to read it happy to do that if you got stories for us reach out we've we've already had multiple listeners multiple listeners record 
awesome stories. You could be next. Insert your name here. <laughs> so, Fig, take us to where we all want to be. Let's go. And don't sit on the ejection seat handle. Don't do it. Okay, I heard it that time. I did too. This here is a true story about crossing the pond at night in the world's smallest cockpit on the tanker through the weather. Oh, and to the uh, tanker crew who uh, did that. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. You don't mean it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. There I was crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. So there I was at a small bar on the outskirts of Longapo City in the Philippines, and they needed a volunteer from the audience. And I, oh, I better not, that we probably not, better not go any further. Oh, I had no idea that was coming. Right? Oh. There you go. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to the podcast. So there I was. Repeat coming to you from Paris, fixed at home in Kansas City. And today we have with us chaos coming to you from maryland thank you so much for joining us chaos so this is a good segue talking about the l39 and maybe there's another airplane you own yeah so so you were there and uh, at new river uh were you in the l39 or were you in the uh the sea harrier i was in the l39 they didn't figure they needed a harrier since they got one from cherry point but it, but um um i asked them if they were going to do a hover and they said uh, no, we're not allowed to hover over asphalt. And I went, what? And it's just, well, it'll melt the asphalt. I, do our, I can do a vertical landing on asphalt, and we do – I think the Marines are missing an opportunity here. It's a capability that the airplane has, and I made a couple of recommendations to them, and they got, well, you know, thanks, thanks for your, your input. Your, yeah. your, 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 your call is very important to us. Yeah. Leave your name number at the beep. Beep. And yeah. um, I'm going to get a call. Like the yeah. uh, uh, the we land vertically on asphalt, and we do less damage to the runway than a jet car does at air shows. And we check it every single time. The way we do it is start at 50 feet, come back down, and at tw- I have a nozzle nudger. I press the speed brake switch, and it just moves the nozzle 10 degrees, then right back, which is which is a great device. And Rains didn't get that. Yeah. See here, he didn't. And then just go forward just a little bit so that you're going into a spot that you've just blown all the loose gravel. Yeah, and it's, or, and it's and, still cool. Yeah, and it had yeah. it's, it's heated up. And then right. you land on that idle and you're moving. It's just a sloppy VL is what it is. Yeah, you need yeah, like five knots, right? Not to burn the asphalt. Yes. Yeah, but if you don't, if but you can screw that up too by going too fast. Just go just a little bit. That's all you need. Yeah. Um, 20 go. or 30 feet. And you're fine. I think that's a ability the Marines are leaving on the table. Absolutely. The Harrier is going to go. And another thing we got, the Sea Harrier has this wooden ramp. It looks just like the car ramps you get at AutoZone to put your car up on so you can change the oil. But it's made of solid wood. With that one ramp, no movable parts, you tow the airplane up, you can change four out of five tires on the Harrier. You just put it up there, and one of the outriggers is up. You don't really have to jack the whole airplane. You can change that outrigger in five minutes. I'm not kidding. So, five, so it, you can change it, the main tire in about 20. You can't change the nose tire. Though. That's yeah. the only tire you can't change. 
And I said, you know what? You got to be looking at this. It's an expeditionary capability. And the other thing I was looking at is air starting on the ground. We know the APU GTS, they blow up all the time. Mm -hmm. So you got two airplanes uh, loaded for bear, ready to go. The Marines call you say, hey, we need you right now. One of them starts, the other one blows up. What do you do? Send one airplane? You can disconnect the two uh, oil lines to the GTS in about five minutes while the other airplane's turning. Guy climbs up on the ladder, opens a clamshell, disconnects them. You have to disconnect them. Otherwise, the GTS gets the oil from the main engine oil. That's probably not going to work out real good. It'll no. slide back out. But you put the other Harrier in, in front of it. Yeah, do a buddy start. And, and you air start it. And uh, we haven't been successful with that yet, but we're going to be. We're going to try it again. You know, we did with the L-39. The intake lines up almost perfectly, and the ground crew says, well, you might do this, you might just it. Write down all the concerns you have, every single one of them, that you think we're going to melt the canopy, you think we're going to fog the engine, you think we're going to do this, we're going to do that, you think, and, and we'll address each and every one of them. Um, we found out when we did the first one, the L-39 was at 50 feet. Uh, and I said, I got enough RPM. I didn't t- attempt to start. I said, I got enough RPM. I got, I got hydraulic pressure. It's turning, it's turning the LP section, it's turning the HP section. Okay. Uh, and, and the, the maintenance guy climbs up on the can. A ladder touches the, the can. He said, the canopy is cooler now than it was before it has been setting out in the sun. Okay. You, is there any fire in there? No, because we, we swept everything clean. Okay, so we moved it back to about eight feet away. And so now we're going to attempt to start. Uh, we got the L39 at 80%. We figured that because the Harrier will start air start at 200 knots. That's the slowest we ever test. It might start more than that, but 200 knots, we know it'll start. So at an L39 200 knots, it's doing about 80, 80% RPM. Let's go at 80% RPM. That Newton thing, air coming out the back of the jet is the same speed as the jet going. So let's try that. I got RPM and I got light off. And it got to a hot start, so I shut it down. And then we thought about it. And I think the technique is you put the air, airplane in front of it, disconnect all lines. Put the L-39 or any other airplane in front of it. You start, you shut it down at the hot start, but don't abandon the start. Let the inertia keep spinning the stuff. And when the temperature drops 50, 60 degrees, go give it some gas again. And let it start. And each, and I, I understand F-4s will start that way. T-2s will start that way. Uh, I found that information out after we had done this. And okay, so we'll so try it cycle, again. You get a little I, bit, each cycle, you get a little bit more momentum out of it until you yes, finally get it. Until you oh, get 25%. Nice. Now, how do you, right. Now, how do you disengage without spotting what you just did? Well, you, uh, I would say, okay, I'm started L39, release your brakes and release the brakes for 1001, 1002, and then go to idle. Because now you're in area where you could blow new stuff up. Yeah. And I think that that is a capability that Marine Corps needs. Because it, it, question, you got two airplanes ready to go. We need you right now. You got one, one airplane goes down and it's shocks. What do you do? You just send one 
Right. You're going to be 10 minutes delay. Practice this. And the oil lines are quick disconnect. Right. And in today's technology, with all the digital fuel control going to the engines, I bet the engines can even handle it now. Because you're hydromech, right? On the sea here. Well, the engines could handle it. The problem is the oil system. The oil uh, for okay. the APU, a GTS, it's on the main oil system. So there's two lines to it. They're both quick, quick disconnect. They can withstand 15 PSI, which is the pressure of the oil system. You just disconnect them, safety wire them to something so yep. that they get tied up in the flight control because your aileron tube goes back through there too. Uh, you don't want that to get messed up. Close the clamshell, give the guy a thumbs up. You're good to go. Nice. How about that? That's, that's, that's something. And we had a break. We had the brakes catch on fire and cool. enough to uh, burn through the little seals on each brake puck and it burned through one of them. So you got red hot metal, pretty oh, much great. Red, pretty very hot metal. And you got 3,000 PSI, uh, 1,500 PSI, yeah. squirting hydraulic fluid on. We went yeah. to a fire extinguisher we had. It was like a, a birthday candle. Fires out. Poof. Comes right back. <laughs> Fires out. Poof. The only thing way it was stopped is that we just happened to be right next to the fire hydrant, and we just happened to have the illegal control fee. The, um, uh, we happen to have the special wrench that fits on there. So we yes. opened the fire hydrant up and doused it with water, and that put it out. And Navir says, the brakes will explode. I said, well, I happen to know from personal experience they won't. <laughs> and I got this brakes you can have if you want to do an engineering investigation on it. And I'm not quite willing to. We would have lost the airplane that day on the ground. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It would have burned up. And, and, and that's the most, some of the most dangerous testing or revolutions there is, is brake testing. Because those yeah. things get hot real quick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what do you use? State Farm? <laughs> probably what? Lloyd's of London? You got to probably go to them, right, for something like a Harrier. <laughs> You'd be surprised, and I use Lad Gardner Insurance out of Addison, Texas, and nice. that the insurance on the Harrier is less than the insurance on the L thirty nine. How is that possible? L thirty nine has two seats, and you got a second person who's going to sue you, potential to sue you, <laughs> okay. uh, with a Harrier is single seat. Now I've already had them looking at our two seater and said, "What do you think?" I think, I think because of our track record and our history, we've done it. It's not just a view graph. It's not just a, hey, we think we can do this or something like that. We've done it. We've got a track history of 15, 15 years or so. Chaos, how many hours have you flown your, your uh, Sea Harrier? Just ballpark. Just under 300. It's, uh, we're at 270. We're at 280 flights. We haven't, met, we haven't made 300 yet. Uh, there's airplanes in museums that have 300 flights. Right. Right. We've had close to 300 flights uh, okay. at 90, 287, somewhere around that. When, now, some of them have been cross countries. Some of them have been um, air shows where you know, it's a 15 minute demo. That's it. It's close okay. to 300 flights. Okay. That's and now awesome. I, I think I mentioned it in the, in the aborted attempt to get started here when uh, yours truly forgot to hit the record button. So chaos is the gentleman who owns not one, but two Harriers. So aside from the United States government and the, the Spanish and the Italian government, and technically the Brits, I guess, uh, he, he's the only one that owns one. 
Well, actually, two. No, we're the so, fourth largest Harrier force in the world. But there you go. The, um, <laughs> With two birds. <laughs> yeah, the, you got the Marines. I think the, I'm not sure if the Italians. So we might get the Italian ones too. Oh, there you um, go. There were like 12 in Thailand, and they were AVA days, TAVA days, 28 engines, a whole bunch of. I went to the Thai embassy in DC and made a pitch for it and. Didn't get an answer the first time. The second time, I didn't give up on asking the question. The second time, they say, per an agreement with the U.S. government, those airplanes were taken out into the jungle and buried. I don't believe. Yeah, don't, right. Come on. Uh, yeah, okay. All right. Oh, you know, mate, there's nothing uh, on that airplane that's worth less than a dollar a pound for scrap metal. They weren't going to bury them. Right. Uh, but the problem is if an airplane, which is why you see some Russian and Czech airplanes flying, if the airplane was ever owned by the U.S. government, and the Thai airplanes were, they were we, mm-hmm. the Marines fought them, gave them to the Spanish, Spanish gave them to, to bring them back in this country requires State Department approval, and they are not likely to want to approve that unless there's some value to the U.S. government. There's no value to the U.S. government. The value would be to somebody, maybe somebody owner that could do government contracts or something like that. Probably not value, not value. Right. Right. And oh, more, yeah. di- more, more risk of somebody trying to fly this thing and ended up in a schoolyard anywhere. Right. Yep. yep. Yeah. There's no value to that at all. Okay. Maybe the best thing is for them to scrap them. But there were some out there and we tried for them and didn't get them. Well, let me, let me ask this. How did you, first of all, how did you get the idea that this could even be done? And then once you went, well, maybe I could okay. own one of these. Um, what a what a project! Like I, I referred to once before, you, you know. Now you've got to eat an elephant, money. you know. And how did you decide which bite to take first? And, and money, uh, money. The answer is money. Yeah. I belong to. I went to an air show after I retired. I was I went into real estate and had some mm-hmm. apartment buildings in Washington D.C., Northern Virginia. And I realized that my real passion wasn't unstopping toilets on Christmas, which I'd personally done twice. <laughs> yeah, unstopped that's a good time. How much do you think a, a plumber's going to charge you to come out Christmas Day to unstop a toilet? Right. Well, I can do it in fifteen minutes. So and I went to an air show and I went, I can do all that stuff. That's nothing. That's, that's, yeah. So I bought a Yak 3, a Russian Yak 3. It's like a World War II, it's a World War II fighter, it, uh, a hero of the Soviet Union. Yeah. It's, yeah. It looks, it's smaller and lighter than a P 51, faster than a P 51 below 5,000 feet or so. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a two stage supercharger, but a very maneuverable, all metal. And I bought one of those. I couldn't give it away at air shows because of that Russian star. I would go take people for rides for a tank full of gas on that. And I never really enjoyed flying that airplane, to be honest. I, I never made it more than 50 hours without something major happening. It was expensive. <laughs> well, I'm just, it's, you got 12 cylinders. Each cylinder has uh, four valves. Each valve has two uh, springs and a, a keeper. Any one of those parts quits and they're all 75 years old any one of those parts quits you're done for the day maybe forever and then you got a prop a lot of moving parts stuff like that yeah. so it sounds like a mechanical nightmare uh, oh yeah a lot of it's worse than a helicopter and the guy offered me the l39 i read the book and i'm like i thought that's a4 bomber and went, this is super simple simple you know a jet engine it's really pretty simple. The fire is either on the inside of the tube, which on the outside. The inside of the tube is good. Outside of the tube, not so good. And it, uh, all the emergency procedures are the same for every, pretty much every jet. 
So yeah. <clears throat> so I bought that, but realized that ICAST, International Council of Air Shows, publishes this chart every two years. They do a survey and it says, what was your favorite act at the air show? And the, the order stays the same. It, the number one, military, Blue Angels, Thunderbirds, Snowbirds. Yep. Military single ship demos. Uh, this, 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 it got three or four things. And then you get down to civilian performers and the civilian performers are the ones that get the sponsorship money yeah. for whatever, whatever sponsorship. And they're there. What I call, I, I've got probably a friend, some of my friends, but they just go up and they, they do this with the airplane and make some noise. It's the same effect as if you took a chainsaw and threw it up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a, it's the same thing. Yeah. But you know that the Harrier is right there with the jet teams. There was at one time yeah. a Marine Corps order that said the Harrier cannot appear at an air show with the Blue Angels. With the Blue Angels, that's right. The only yes. exception to that was Cherry Point and Yuma. Yep, and you know why? Because we were based yeah. there. Then the crowd started leaving after the Harrier flew. They would, they would start heading for the doors. They came there to see the Harrier. I called headquarters Marine Corps when I was thinking about this. Uh, I said, I got a car dealership. I'm getting ready to open up next week. Can I get a Harrier demo there? And he goes, no, you can't get a Harrier demo. It's official. You got to put the thing in here. You got to do that. Right. And I, we, we started chatting a little bit. I says, how many requests do you get a year for Harrier? He says, I got three a day. You're number two for today. I'm going to get another one before the day's so. over. Then I found out how many requests the Thunderbirds get, the Harrier gets more requests they did at the time yeah. than the Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels put together. And the, I said, this is an opportunity. You can't buy one. You can't sponsor one. But I said, if we could get one or two of these airplanes and we could fly them, we could charge pretty much whatever we want. And we are, we are probably the highest fee any air show act I take six to nine people on six to nine rogues, take a trailer with a truck that's got tires, jacks, APU, bears, toolbox, tow bar, which is close to 20 feet long. All that stuff there that has to drive to as a crew to drive that two days to go anywhere. Uh, then we fly the L39 in formation with the hair. The L39 is Pathfinder. And then the Harrier just hanging on in, in formation. So we're a big package. I still think we're underpriced because uh, not our air shows can't afford it. We can't compete with free. The Marine Corps would be free. Right, right. Uh, I think they announced for this year they're going to fly four shows, but not many. Um, but we're kind of out of that distance. Yeah, I, I, okay. um, it's, it's just too. That's a lot. That that is a lot. That is a lot of moving parts. The, right the maximum we did was ten air shows in one year. And let me tell you, I bet you were exhausted. The last two ones I did, I wanted to cancel. Uh, they were in Dayton, Ohio, and I said, you know, I'm not feeling the love here. I don't want to. Go. I said, well, we've already advertised you to crowds here, so we went there. And the weather was going to be. I hate fighting bad weather. If right. when you oh, do yeah, it every day, airline pilot or something like that. That's and you got the systems on the airplane, GPS, you go click, 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 and you can fly right down the line. So like that's yeah, one thing. The Harrier's not an right. all weather bird. <laughs> no. Well, it doesn't have weather radar, which <laughs> no. no radar. <laughs> Deal with icing and I don't know what the hell radar is. We took off from 
Winston-Salem, we were there for a day and a half waiting for weather. Uh, they were saying, That's, you're clear above 5,000 feet, but it was kind of low. Uh, so we found an airplane landed, and they said, yeah, you're clear above 5,000 feet. And we okay. So we launched off. They wouldn't let us take off in a section. L-39 takes off. Three minutes, they held me for three minutes. I take off. I'm expecting to do a, a climb to the cloud to 5,000 feet. Six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. I'm still in the clouds. Oh, now I come got on. I got vertigo. And the guy gives me a left 270 turn to go 30 or 40 degrees to the right. And I said, I'm having trouble controlling this airplane here. It's an antique pilot, an antique airplane. Why'd you turn me late? He says, you're not in my airspace. Okay. I was still IFR, IMC. Instrument meteorological conditions. He's in the clouds. <laughs> I'm in the clouds. I'm looking at the gauges and some of them are not quite matching up. And the, uh, uh <laughs> I finally, I'm in between the cloud layers now and I can see and, and my, uh, things are getting better. The airplane's getting better. Uh, everyone's flying perfectly. I got plenty of fuel. And they want me to land short at Richmond. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, my forecast weather at my home base is 5,800, uh, overcast 5,800 feet, clear below, be far below. And I said, I know the surrounding area better than I know Richmond. Airplanes flying fine. It's me this problem. I'm getting better by the minute. I, I don't know Richmond. And I don't know Chesterfield. I don't know that area. I don't know the frequency. I got everything memorized my whole home place there. And I got Pax River if I need to, 15,000 feet of runway or so. So I let, landed and uh, they went back and listened to the tapes and the air traffic controller did me no favors. Uh, they, he could have he done a lot better job. Had I made that mistake as a pilot, I lost my license. Wow. Yeah. So I was glad to be on the ground. I'm getting to the point now that I don't need to prove anything to anybody. I've done it. It's time to pass it on to somebody else, and I can, I can teach them. I, I'm legal to sign them off with a check ride, and I can get them a check ride. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the plan for it. Nice. Well, I'll tell you what. I appreciate what you've done to continue the legacy of that airplane, even though they're still act, active duty for how, a limited time. How are they going to be active, do you think? We're down to two squadrons, right? They'll be active. Yeah, maybe two more years, in my humble opinion. Maybe. Yeah, we're down to just two squadrons now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was contacted. There's, uh, we did a, um, you might have seen the uh, Netflix, not Netflix. Is it about the guy who tried to get Pepsi to give him his jet? Yeah. Well, Pepsi, I got where, the where's my hair? Jet. I own the actual jets in my hair. That was right. that part of that. And they contacted, Apple contacted me and said, we want to, we want to do this thing on the hair. I said, okay. So I signed a non disclosure with them. And did a day of flying and did a day of taxiing uh, for the two guys that were actually involved in that. And they made a documentary. I but, saw that. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. Okay. That's the wrong guy. No, that's not, that's, that's not the right guy. Those guys called me uh, that you saw that's published and said, hey, we want to do this. And I said, yeah, I think we're already doing that. You know, wait, wait. name's different. Called the other guys because no, don't talk with them. <laughs> and um, so I called him back and says, I can't talk with you. I can't, you can't even film my airplane 
you can't do this, but but Jenna didn't sign. Jenna Dolan didn't sign anything with me. You can talk with Jenna, and you can probably find something that I'm using him or something along that line or something. But you can't use me, and I'm not going to talk to you. So they they contacted Jenna and did that whole thing. Well, the guys that were involved with the deal for the airplane with Pepsi, I've known for several years. They and Netflix, we put this thing th- together. They filmed for two days, and I think theirs is better. I haven't seen it. Uh, they haven't advertised it yet. They haven't aired it yet, but they will. And it should air soon, but I think they're going to turn that into a movie. And they're going to use some of the film footage of me flying in that movie. And I said, well, I've got everything. I got airplanes in pieces. I got engines on stands. I got APUs. I got brake parts. I got wheels, tires, everything, everything that you could use to show somebody taking the parts, putting together to an airplane. So... That may happen. Let's see. Okay. Right. So you're looking at getting out of that business and you're transitioning to, um, you mentioned something about some, uh, some special bourbon you might have your hands on these days. There's a, a retired Navy Admiral that has a distillery here, a tobacco barn distillery. Uh, t- bourbon was actually the, the drink we know today as bourbon, okay. which is a corn based a uh, corn grain-based liquor, whiskey, was first distilled in Southern Maryland, 1634, somewhere around that time frame. Okay. And all those families, the Beams and uh, whatnot, migrated from St. Mary's to Kentucky in search of better water and freedom. And so they went there, and that was in Bourbon County. And uh, to avoid taxes okay. on corn, they distilled it and they shipped it down to New Orleans. And that's where it had bourbon stamped on the barrel. But it was first brewed here. And he had some rum that was aged aboard the USS Constellation uh, in Baltimore Harbor. He got a special permit to hand carry the 30-gallon barrels. Couldn't use any modern equipment. Hand carry it up the gangplank, down in the hole, and it sat there on the Constellation for two years. Okay. And then they sold that as Constellation rum. And I saw him at an event. I said, hey, we got to fly some in the Harrier and call it 700-mile-an-hour bourbon. And he thought that was a good idea. So we, that planted the seed. And what we did was we took two 190-gallon drop tanks, which I wasn't going to use anymore, and we re-engineered, took all the guts out, and re-engineered, right place to wedge two 30-gallon barrels, one in the front, one in the back, of each of those drop tanks. So we had four 120 gallons. And I put it in a flight test program to to do the takeoff, uh, the hailing qualities, make sure I could land, uh, all that stuff through the flight test, get the weights representative of what we were going to do. And then we flew the bird, but we didn't hit 700 miles an hour only because... This airplane will easily do 700 miles an hour. It's not, it's not even a question. I had this much more throttle left. I could have gone like that and done it. Yeah. My plan was to go up to 5,000 feet, set max continuous, which is what I set, dive down from 5,000, go to about 200 feet, and I had a track approved by the FAA, and I could have easily done it. But we had a, a 2,500-foot overcast that day. And... Joe Anderson was my LSO. He says, you're not going to burn up your engine just for this stunt. They're not going to know how fast you're going anyway. And I went, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to do that. But with ADSB, we know exactly how fast I was going. And GPS, <laughs> um, I, I 
think it was 638 or something. I said, well, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but the biggest thing was the vibration of that yeah. Rolls-Royce Pegasus engine is 150 decibels or something like that. And the vibration right next to that drop tank, you've got this wooden barrel that's got char on the inside. And you got the alcohol in there and it just shakes it like this. And oh, it okay. did the equivalent of aging it. And it was all for charity for the Super 5 Fund. And I think they raised $60,000 or something like that. A great amount of money for a good cause. And I said, since we didn't hit 700, we could try it again. Oh, outstanding. It's great. So maybe, yeah, the hard part, the hard part for me was done. Um, in fact, we got interviewed by the comptroller Maryland. He says, you can take off from Maryland. You can't travel into Virginia. I said, we're not going to Virginia. Uh, he's, he's, and they land at the same place. And then as soon as I landed, we had to, because it's ATF, we had ATF, FAA, everybody involved, except for the future farmers of America. They didn't really care. Oh my God. Right. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> they, they didn't care. Jeez. We had all kinds of agencies involved in this and we had to shoehorn this in so it fit with that. Right after we landed, we could not leave that bourbon in the drop tanks in the, uh, in the hangar. It had, we had to download them, immediately put them on a trailer and get them back to the distillation point that had the license. We didn't have the license here at the airport. So oh, there you that go. is just insane. Your government right. working for you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Oh, thanks man. a lot, fellas. So how would one go about getting a bottle of this? Is there any more available? Or Florida Tobacco the Barn Distillery, I think they have a few more bottles, but you have to pick them up in Maryland. We can't ship them. Yeah. I've got a, a Marine Corps buddy of mine. Uh, one or one, he's living in Japan. I can't ship it to him. I can't legally do it. Yeah. And the, um, I don't know how they ship wine, but we can't ship, we can't ship this. And there's a special license we don't have. But if you, if you come to Maryland, he's got a, he's got a bottle or two left. He doesn't have many. Okay. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty high speed. I understand step. it's not, it's not bad. I gave, I bought a couple of cases and I gave them to friends and associates and stuff like that. Nice. Very cool. Oh, and a second uh, run would our, be awesome then. A chaos when uh, when we uh, were all together there last day, April for the for the reunion, um, our anniversary, I guess. Uh, you were t- telling us about this operation that you had started with uh, BD jets and flying yes. profiles. Is that still the BD fives? I held a world's record for the world's smallest rideable bicycle uh, one time, and a guy called me up and said, "Hey, would you like to buy the world's smallest jet?" And I had a Harley Davidson motorcycle. I just had a knee replacement. I had a tough time riding it. Couldn't put my leg down, you know, with, with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, yeah. So I traded the motorcycle for the actual jet that uh, held the world's record. Turns out, I think he falsified the records. Nobody believes he ever flew it because he weighs about 250 pounds. <laughs> Couldn't fit in the damn thing. <laughs> and it, the engine had 180 pounds of thrust. Uh, and oh Jim B himself. I asked him, he says, yeah, I know the airplane. I'm not concerned about the structure because the guy modified, the guy who built it in Australia modified the structure. I'm not concerned about that. I'm concerned about that damn piece of shit engine you got. It's got to quit on you. There's no way to get an air start because it's a compressed air start. Okay. Uh, the engine's in a plenum and there's not enough air throw flow going through to spin it. You need an electric starter like an F86 uh, to start it. Get rid of the engine. Next day, I took the engine out. And I used that airplane for static display to show the size of it and whatnot. Then I got a call from Bob Bishop, who founded Aerial Productions International. 
They did air shows at first with the Coors Light Silver Bullets. They had those two airplanes. Right. The government came to them and said, we need to talk. Because of the design of the airplane with metal and the engine being internal to the fuselage, they have a very low radar cross-section. Uh, the actual number is classified. And I, I do have a clearance, but I don't know what the number is. But the, for unclassified purposes, the number is about this big, about dinner plate. That's the unclassified. Wow. But because it's got the man in the cockpit, you can fly anywhere the FAA says you can fly an airplane. In 2012, they overflew the White House uh, right down Washington, D.C., right over the White House. And there are protections in place. That's the most highly right. defended <laughs> airspace probably in the world. Got wezzes on top of wezzes. Yeah. Yeah. And he's in his late seventies and says, I don't know what happened. 2012, we had bank gangbuster business that kind of dropped off. I don't know what happened. If something else out there that's better or cheaper, quicker, whatever, I don't know. But I've lo- I don't know any admirals, don't know any generals. And I said, I do know a few. I don't think they like me very much, but I do know a few and I'll take it on. So I bought his company. We've got four flying jets with an antique engine. Um, we're looking for new engines. I think we found it. Okay. We've got five airplanes now, 23 kits. Uh, we're working on a twin engine model. The most, several of our customers have expressed, we want something to go faster. Okay. We can, I think we can do that. And they want us to be fully night capable. I think we can do that. But basically, we simulate cruise missiles. We're certified by the Defense Intelligence Agency as a Type 1 cruise missile surrogate. And we can fly just about anywhere. And we can operate from just about anywhere. We don't like to fly out of a big airport. Uh, we got your service delivery. You got to get yeah, your weather. Yeah, yeah. You gotta, now, yeah. we want to take a non-towered airfield, take off, go fly, go do, come back and land. So I took over the company. And I think we're taking it to the next step with a twin-engine model. We've done some basic fit things that won't change our radar cross-section much, and we can be more valuable. We flew for MOTS, Marine Air Weapons Tactics, Air Warfare Tactics, Squadron 1 and Yuma, um, twice a year for years, and then we stopped. I don't know why we stopped. Um, I suspect, I got some reasons, I think, why we, we stopped. It wasn't because we couldn't perform or anything. I think that they had difficulty working with something that small. Gotcha. So it was, okay. uh, you, you guys were red. What, so the airplanes were for red air or just the threats in general? Just threats that? in general. Uh, the okay. close to Washington, D.C. here, the Chesapeake Bay is very close to Washington, and some threats could operate out of coming up sure. the bay. That, that, yeah. it, that is probably not, this is yeah. probably best for yeah. some yeah. other. Yeah. Other scenario. Okay. So, yeah. so, so get, get, give me the, uh, give us the dimensions of one of these little BDJs. 12 feet long, 17, five, 17 foot wingspan. The total, uh, the total height at the top of the tail is five and a half feet. When you're setting in the cockpit, it's a go-kart. Uh, you are lower to the ground uh, than you are sitting in that chair right now where you are. In fact, I use that as the simulator. Um, this is about the right height to start the flare. When you're, <laughs> uh, when you can see the uh, texture of the runway out of peripheral vision, uh, that's about the right <laughs> time to flare. And the way I do it, I'm a little heavier than the average pilot. The average, we need the limiting size. 
thing is actually foot size. Uh, you can't get a nine and a half. Uh, nine and a half foot is the the maximum. Ten foot, ten uh, size ten foot won't fit in there. You're up against the instrument panel in the front. It's tiny, and there's no place to put you. This is this is the canopy around my head. That's how yeah. much room you got. Wow, three four inches either side. I flew a mission coming up a year and a half, two years ago, over the Gulf of Mexico for Leonardo Labs, uh, 22 miles out over the Gulf of Mexico, dropped down to 500 feet. They couldn't see me on the way out. And so I had to do some turns and say, oh, we got you now. We know where to look. Okay. Yeah, I come in, drop down to 500 feet. We lost you. Okay, aboard. That's the value of having a man in the cockpit. Something's not going right. Talk to him. And we had a, we had a relay a uh, safety officer in a van there, and he used to talk. He could talk with the cell phone if he needed to. Uh, so starting with a thousand, let's change the test plan. What do we need to do to change the test plan? And I said, well, you say, Art, we need to change the test plan. <laughs> That's what we have to do. And so they had me flying a, a thousand feet and do a climb and descent until they said, we got you, got you, got you, lost. Got you, got you, got you, got you, lost. And determined that the, the altitude was about 800 feet. So toward the beach at 800 feet. And they said, we got it. There's a tree. It's a land-based radar and they couldn't in the lab and the tree is blocking it. They sent somebody up with a chainsaw. They cut the tree down while I'm airborne. Oh my gosh. And I said, we need to change the asthma. And I go, I got a, um, EFAS this big in the airway. And they go, I don't know how to do that. And my safety officer, Pete McNall, Marine, HMX-1 pilot, says, this is how you do it. You go, flight plan, waypoint one, enter, go there, go to that waypoint, turn directly north, go for 15 seconds, and then turn inbound to the target. I can do that. Okay. So flew in to the alternate at, uh, heading that they wanted me to fly in. And uh, they got the data they wanted. But let me tell you, 22 miles out over the Gulf of Mexico in a go-kart. Do you have flotation device just in case? I did. And I had sea dye markers and a whole bunch of stuff that they could, they could find what was left of me. Oh, my at, gosh. At the end of it. But they've also wanted us to do an operation in Alaska. We have no heat. We're the reverse cozy. We got the heat yeah. on the inside. <laughs> Yeah, and the aluminum skin on the outside. They said we need you operate at minus five. Give us a matrix every five degrees to zero and then minus five. And uh, and we were going well. We'll try it. We can do that. All the guys that fly for us are retired tactical pilots, military people. Can do attitude. My job yeah. to try to throttle them back just a little bit. Um, and I said, well, we'll have orange parachutes. We'll paint the airplanes orange. Since it is a color of the airplane is not important in Alaska and, you know, minus five degree, it might be important to our recovery. We'll paint the airplanes orange, orange white suits, orange this, reflective that, and we'll have SAR airborne. If we have a 50 mile run in, we'll have SAR midway watching us on flight aware so they know where we are. If something happens, they're, they're on it real nice. quick. And we came up with the matrix of what we can do and how long we can do. We did an operation attacking. Let me just say that. That's as far, and it was 18 degrees outside from the, someplace 
north of Washington, two feet of snow on the ground. And I had two pilots flying. I was a safety officer in a, in a parka, and I, we're monitoring the mission by the second, but there's part of it that we're calm out. So I've got a little stopwatch up there on, on the wall of when I should be talking to them. And if not, if I'm not talking to them, I'm calling 911. Hey, we got somebody out there. Or we got to, we got to go find them. And the, it's a team effort. They, they should be talking to me right about now, you know, click, click, click. And it comes down 18 degrees at two pilots. One guy was portly <laughs> and Healthy. he, he had uh, three layers of clothes on. He's like the little sea otter over the coast yeah. of uh, yeah. California, laying on his back, eating eating clams yeah, and stuff like that. Right. Just happy as he can be. He goes, "I'm fine." We had a skinny guy. Yeah, he was a yeah. emergency when he landed. So I can't feel my fingers. Can't feel my toes. <laughs> Got him out of the airplane. Had the uh, paddles truck, uh, the heat going full blast. I threw my Parker on him. Got him in there. And got blood going back to his fingers and stuff like this. Says, well, we got to bracket this. We got to figure out how to do this. So we have electric gloves, electric vests, electric socks. Oh, what a mess. What a mess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think we can do this. Uh, we're trying to figure out how much heat we can get out of a hundred watt light bulb. Cause I think we can get enough to heat the whole pack pit. If we, if we, if we do it right, we just got to figure out how to drive. We've got some things we got to. We got to, got to figure out, but I think we can do it. Uh, but it's important to, let me see how I can address this. Other things they're looking at other than RCS. Okay. And we, which is, and, which is called radar, which is a acronym for radar. Radar cross section. Other things other than radar. Yeah. Nice. And we're the only ones that can do it. Um, hey, what's the, uh, uh, when, when, uh, when you're flying a BD, a little BD jet, um, how much fuel are you carrying? How, how 51 gallons. And let me tell you, if you put a 55-gallon drum next to the airplane, it says all of the, the four it. gallons is going to go in that airplane. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah, you are crazy. There is no way. There, the wings are and um, um, When I did my training and the guy signed me off, the hardest thing, but there were two hard things. First of all, getting the gear down for me because there's no room to move, and I have to – Go, everybody was kung fu fighting and go, uh, get that gear down real quick. Some <laughs> people have a pro- don't have a problem with, I did. Um, and you can't get hung up in the middle. And yeah. the second is a no flap landing that you have to do for the check ride. I don't know why, because I don't think the flaps ever fail, but uh, it's, um, McClack's, uh, uh, flaps mechanical, right? Yeah, thing. Your head's like this. You go, and then the nose is up here, and you're going, all I'm doing is flying airspeed and trying to land on that airplane. Oh, my land God. Land on that runway. Uh, other than that, it flies like a glider, like a fighter. Nice. And it flies like three different airplanes. In general, it flies like a glider. I mean, it was 17 to 1, glide ratio. Oh, my God. And so, so uh, yeah, let's say, you, uh, let's say you had to set it down. Um, what, what, what's the thing land at? Uh, okay, 65 knots. And okay. uh, we, uh, one of the guys on the check ride had an engine failure on the go around and had to set it back down on the runway gear up. Oh, well, yep, yeah, it's, it's kind of embarrassing. Old gray airplane, you can't see it on the runway. You cannot see these, you cannot see these airplanes 2,000 feet away. We flew a mission in Gila Bend, Arizona, 
five airplanes against the F-16s. And the last time you saw anybody else in the flight was after they had three second go on the runway. 1001 with up to three. Go. Yeah. That's the last time you saw him. Never saw him. You can't see. You can't. The combat spread doesn't work. The rendezvous doesn't work. We had to come up with new procedures how to do that. Operating nets. You cannot see anybody else. Well, oh my gosh, they, that's uh, terrifying. Especially when you're trying to the join airplane up. lands on a runway. The Navy SEALs are. Uh, they're doing. It's Marana Airport near Arizona, north of, uh, between Phoenix and Tucson. That's where we like to operate out of nine towers, 7,000 feet of runway. There's nothing out there, really. Really, there's nothing. And the uh, <laughs> um, guy has gear up. He's in a runway, gray airplane, land in the middle of a gray on runway. You can't stand. So we closed the runway, had a uh, paddle truck out there, flashing lights. The the SEALs were taking their lunch break. And I, so I go over and get three or four of these beeparillos. And um, I said, I need some help. If you guys want to fly this afternoon, we got to get this airplane off the runway. Jump in the back and pick up Chuck. Four guys jump in the back and pick up Chuck. We go over there, and the guy goes, hey, we've been listening on the radio. you got a girl flying for you. I said, that girl's a full Marine Corps colonel, and she could probably kick two or three of your asses right now. She's, <laughs> she, is, she is 100% full Marine. I turned my back on him, and the mechanic says, okay, lift here, 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 here. I turned my back. They lifted the airplane up, lowered the gear. He started up and taxied back. I wish I had a film that and the evaluator goes, no, you don't. Right. <laughs> oh no, no, no. Let's tell the, uh, yeah, he handled the real emergency better than the simulated emergency. I was going to give him one of the next go around. And so maybe that's all we need to say about that. But the, uh, the airplane only weighed 500 pounds. We had four guys lifted up, click, click, click. And the gear comes nice. down like a switchblade. And, uh, we had a, uh, engine controller, electrical electronic box, size of a pack of cigarettes failed. Uh, but it got started up enough that he could taxi it back, taxi it back. We, we downloaded all the data, determined what the problem was, changed that one little part, airplane. Yep. Um, actually didn't do any real damage to the airplane by landing gear up. Uh, we put a skid under the bottom just for that purpose, a little thicker oh, aluminum. Awesome. We change that yeah. and let you go again. That's awesome. Simple airplane. Okay. But it takes the right kind of guy to fly it. Right. Or curl. Exactly. Well, small enough, among others. Chaos, I hate to say it. Our time uh, has come to an end. I've gotten my alert call, and I have to go to work. So I am I am. Somebody's got to work. Dead time. Yeah, it's interfering with my social life. A four-letter word in the day. I got to tell you, it's interfering with my social life. I am not the least bit happy about it, but it's, uh, it's, it's how we roll around here. So... Our friends, the... Uh, well, it was a pleasure. Yeah, a pleasure. It was a, and for, for I, us I, as well. Thank you for having me. Uh, Chaos, thank you for your service, number one. And, and God amen. bless the United States Marine Corps. Correct. Yeah. It, indeed. So, thanks. And thank you. You guys have a good day. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Art. The first thing I'm going to do is uh, mention that Fig and I lost a squadron mate yesterday. We uh, we want to send our prayers and our, our thoughts out to uh, Joan Paschal. Our squadron mate, Bo Paschal, uh, passed away. We were told of a heart attack yesterday afternoon. We have heavy hearts this week, and we'll keep 
Bo and, and Joan in our thoughts and prayers this week. I will make an effort to attend the funeral if I can uh, if I can do so once we get that information. You hear in the background our friends the Dos Gringos, the guys that give the Air Force a good name. Uh, thank you to them for letting us use their music. Thanks to That's Dave awesome Hamilton. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Dave. <clears throat> Thanks, Dave, over at Mac Geek Gab. Uh, thanks also to Robin's Bird Brain Designs, our sponsor. You need something etched, personalized gift for somebody? Reach out to robinsbirdbraindesigns.com. Uh, you can follow us on so there I was dot us slash rumble, so there I was dot us slash Facebook. You can email us, repeat at so there I was dot us or big at so there I was dot us. We have a glossary page up. Probably got a couple more terms today. Going to hit our glossary page on so there I was us. But in the meantime, until next week, everybody, stay safe and get six. Well, there I was crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fond of all the shit I was wearing on that day. Now an F-16 is cramped enough, but it's even worse With all that stuff supposed to save your life But we knew there was no way Cause when you're going down the North Atlantic, man, it's over Like the song says, it's over Try it again without the sarcasm.